Welcome to the show, everybody. I've got a great interview for you today. Former UNLV golfer and now professional golfer, Harry Hall joins us for an interview. He is live from Bermuda, getting ready to play in his second PGA tournament event with his top 10 finish to the Shriners. He made it into this field. Uh, talked a little bit about his UNLV career, what brought him over here, and uh, just some good stories uh, from one hell of a player. His name's going to be more popular in the next coming years, I firmly believe. And it's not because he wears the same hat Bryson does. Uh, so kick back, relax, enjoy this one. It was a blast. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Chasing Daylight, everybody. Got a nice interview series for you today on the phone with me, which I just found out he's live from Bermuda, Mr. Harry Hall. How you doing today, sir? Very good, thank you, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, well, it's beautiful weather today. I, it sucks you're not here to enjoy it, but I kind of, you know, would rather be where you are, to tell you the truth. I am uh, sat in a nice hotel room. I've got a a band playing outside my patio door. Um, I'm on the beach. going to spend the lovely week in Bermuda and play in my... Uh, fourth PGA Tour event, so I'm excited. Life is good, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I know a lot about you because I'm I'm a UNLV junkie. Um, been, uh, you know, a fan of yours since since you got to UNLV. But you're uh, originally from, how's it, Hale, England? Yeah. Um, what brought you all the way around the other side of the planet to play at UNLV? Well, um, I'm originally from Camborne, which is a little town closer to closer to Hale that no one likes to tell tell you they're from. So I'm actually from Hale. We moved there when I was about 13, so we moved up in the world. <laughs> it's like people don't like to say they're from Henderson; they say they're from Vegas. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm actually from Camborne. I grew up there. Went to primary school there. When I was 11, I went away to boarding school for a year. And, play golf because so I was pretty good and got a scholarship and uh, came back to Hale when I was 12 and went just went to a normal school and it wasn't until I was about 16 that I was playing in some national events and member of like you know the England under 16 boys team and the under 18s and um, had a, a lot of interest through college golf coaches in America coming over to watch me play. And Phil Rowe, who was from uh, West Cornwall Golf Club, the same golf course that I played at in Cornwall, England, was the assistant coach at Stanford. And he moved uh, to UNLV in 2000, the end of 2013, just in time for me to sign in, in 14 to go to a school. And I could never have gone to Stanford academically, and um, it was a blessing, really, that he went to UNLV and invited me on a visit because, you know, we have that connection from being from the same place. And yeah. I grew up with his friends kind of mentoring me that didn't move on like he did to the States from where I come from. And, yeah, what, UNLV was the best school that I was looking at at the time. Went on a visit and saw Shadow Creek and <laughs> Southern Highlands. Spanish Trails or Las Vegas Country Club and thought, 
you know. Wow, 360 days of pure sunshine, you know, that's hard to be, isn't it? Yeah, we uh, we kind of got a, got it lucky here. The the winter isn't really winter compared to the rest of the world. Right, yeah, exactly right. You know, I, I spent most Saturday mornings in 35 mile an hour wind and waterproofs and could hardly hold the car. It was, you know, zero. 32s in Fahrenheit. So, what was what was your reaction to Vegas? I mean, had you, had you been to a, a big city like that? Like, I'm sure you've probably been to London, right? I've been to London a few times. It was my first time in America on my official visit. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, I went to went to Vegas and went to Marquette in Wisconsin. Completely two different places, and uh, I love Vegas. You know, I was. At the time, I was 16, 17, and, you know, liked a bit of glamour, like dressing up, like the whole atmosphere that Vegas had. And for golf, it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I loved it, and I, I still do. So you uh, had a pretty, pretty outstanding career, and in uh, 2019, you were awarded the Mountain West Golfer of the Year only the sixth player in UNLV's history to win that. So congrats on that. That's a nice little accolade to have. Thank you. So um, after UNLV, there was, there's a little gap between that and your corn Ferry start. Uh, what, what was going on between graduating and getting out on the corn Ferry? Well, I graduated in three and a half years at the end of 18, decided to do another semester at UNLV just so I, played on a team and finished my, you know, NCAA eligibility and did a fourth year with the, with the guys and, um, you know, another national championship. And then, uh, went back to England that summer and played in a few competitions and then played the Walker cup, which is great Britain and Ireland against the USA, uh, which was something that I always wanted to do because Phil Rowe, who obviously helped me, progress in my career and was my coach at UNLV played on the team. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So that, that was really cool to, to get that on my CV and, you know, looking at his CV in the past, I tried to take off everything on it, on his one. So to get how the Walker Cup was really cool. And every, every golfer from Great Britain Ireland really cherishes playing in the Walker Cup. And that's kind of the pinnacle of amateur golf for us. And that, that was really, really Ooh. nice to do. Who else was on that I team went, with you? Anybody we'd know? No, no, not really. <laughs> uh, it's a, it was amazing because I'm kind of COVID really affected a lot of people my age back in Europe because they haven't had a Q school for two years. Yeah. And um, they haven't been able to progress as much as you could have over here. At least we've had some you know, Monday qualifiers to play in uh, a system that you can, you know, graduate into. And I, I know that the Cornbread Tour was two years into one, but I, I still made it just because I got through Q school in, at the end of 2019, um, even with conditional status. So I, I played the Walker Cup, turned pro. Before I played any Q school, I got an invite into the Alfred Dunhill Links, uh, St. Andrews, Kings Barnes, and Carnoustie 
Oh, wow, that's a great played, played that right after the Walker Cup. And I came 15th. I'm, I'm playing my first professional event. And I remember playing uh, practice round with Luke Donald and seeing all the guys. And I'm thinking, wow, this is my, this is my first tournament. And I uh, played Kings Barnes the first day, shoot two under. Played St. Andrews the next day, shoot four under. Oh. And uh, I'm right on the cut line. And Kings Barnes and St. Andrews, because every rotation, um, everyone's at all three courses for the three days, and they all play St. Andrews on the last day. So you don't want to finish on Carnoustie, really, because <laughs> you kind of just try to stay where you stay where you're at. You know, if I shot level bar that day, I probably would have been happy, but it wouldn't have made the cut. I knew I had to play good, and I shot four under Carnoustie, which was a, a great wow. score at that point. And I made the cut by two, and I'm on the same score as Roy McIlroy. <laughs> and uh, I got I got paired with him that Sunday night, uh, that Saturday night. And I played my first professional event with Roy on Sunday at the home of golf. And uh, oh wow, shot a 65. And damn, came 15. And that was that was a nice introduction to professional golf and something that you know I'll remember forever just playing with Rory and having a bit of a crowd watch us and being at St Andrews and my dad watching that that was awesome and after that I came over played Corn Ferry Tour Q School got through all the way to finals so it made me a Corn Ferry Tour member I came 113th at finals and the top 40 get their automatic starts and with a place of 113, I was never going to get started on the Corn Ferry Tour, but it meant that I could do the Monday qualifiers for cheaper. And if I did get some events, then my points would count because I was a member. Oh, nice. If you're not a member, you have to do Monday qualifiers and get, you know, 350 points before you're even eligible for a reshuffle or to be in the, in the field automatically. So, you know, I, uh, I got through Q school, but never had a start. And then COVID happened. So I was trying to qualify. And I didn't qualify for the first couple um, because you can't qualify for Bahamas and then the events in Bogota, Panama. I tried to qualify for, for a few and I didn't make it. So there was about 10 events to start the season that I didn't play in. And then COVID happened uh, in that February, March. So four months later, I'm doing some Monday qualifiers and I, I kill it. I, I get in three out of nine Mondays, which is a really good percentage yeah. in the end. Um, and I, I came T36 in Utah. And because I was a member, my points counted and I got in the next reshuffle and it meant that I had the next three events um, on the Grand Prix tour, and I go miss cut, miss cut, second place, and I'm on, I'm on the Grand Prix tour ever since, and uh, managed to finish 2020 off well with a few top tens, and I finished 67th on the list, playing, you know, half the events of everybody else, but at least that got me a, a full schedule in 2021 where I 
you know, won an event this year and didn't have my best year on the course. And that win kind of really uh, made the year look a lot better than it was. And I'm very thankful for that. And I got the job done in the clutch. And when I was in contention, I, I finished it off. But that was kind of, you know, that and a, other, one of the top 10 for 22 events, you'd probably say, well, you know, other than that, it wasn't a great year, but um, made it to the finals and I'm comfortable and I'm in, a, I'm in the same spot as everybody else coming next year. And um, you probably go with my, in my amateur career, you know, finishing the, the Walker Cup was great, but prior to the Walker Cup, I hadn't been a star and you, a lot of people probably wouldn't have picked me to come on and do so well and went on the Corn Ferry Tour and, you know, my top 10 at the Shriners a couple of weeks ago. Um, people probably wouldn't have chose me to have the results I've had after college, but I've kept on going and kept on taking a step up the ladder and hopefully I can do it for many more years to come. Oh yeah, for sure you are. You, you too much talent. So back in June, right before the Wichita, you put something out on Instagram that just yeah. really increased my <laughs> level of respect for you. So I'm going to read this, what you wrote. I've had this photo in my library for a while now. I've been waiting for a good result on the course to, put, to post it, but that hasn't happened. Then I realized that's me falling into a trap of only posting positive, successful posts when life isn't really like that. I have failures all the time, but tend not to share them with others except those close to my team. I am where I am today because of how I deal with failures. And fortunately for me, one week can change a lot of things in my world. And then you went out and won. Had you always had that mindset and just, I, I, I'm trying, you know, Instagram and social media can really overtake somebody. What, was it something that happened that had you realize that, or have you always thought like that? Um, you know, you go through spells, don't you, where obviously everybody goes through ups and downs and you never see it, do you? You never see it on social media, right? Um, and I, I just thought, I need to switch something up, you know? It's it's negative, but I'm not posting at all. You know, if you only post positive stuff, well, that might flip your mindset. But if I'm not posting at all, that, that's kind of negative because I, you know, I like to post and I like to stay relevant, but... Obviously, something was going on where I wasn't playing good enough golf to think that I deserved the post or turning by the ballot, and nobody wanted to know. But I think it was just a very spontaneous thing. I thought, you know what? I'm going to post this photo because I like it. It doesn't matter how I play. And what does it matter, anyway? I mean, you know, you want to be a, a nice person, a good person. And if I came T50 last week and not T5, you know, someone might think T50 is a fantastic result and I'm on the corporate tour, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I, I wish more people in the spotlight would, would post that. I mean, it's so easy to get this glamorous life of a professional golfer out there, but you know, um, local knowledge, we just said in our podcast this last week, they had a great episode talking about mental health and a lot of the struggles that some of these top guys like Matt Wolf and a couple other players are going through. And it's, yeah. it's, 
nice to see that side of it. It's not, you know, of course everybody wants to see the the you know the fast cars and the and the hot chicks and the and the you know the the big checks, but that's not everyday life. Even for you know the top players in the world, that's not their everyday life. So I, I was glad that you embraced that, and I you know it freed you up a little bit mentally, and you had a hell of a tournament. I think that post had a lot to do with you know flipping my mindset and having a a refreshed week for sure. But it, subconscious, it's, you know. Yeah, it, it's subconsciously uh, it was in the back of my mind that I took a little bit of weight off my shoulders and a little bit of pressure and thought, and I had a lot of support. That post, everybody loved that post. You know, I got a lot of messages after saying, "Hey." respect that and it was nice I think a lot of people feel like that all the time and you know if they don't post for two weeks they're probably going through it and they're waiting for a chance to to do something positive to come up to give them an excuse to post Um, but I think now that I've done that I need to to not do it more often but you know I definitely notice you know, when I when I'm going through those spots again and still posting and you know, it's healthy to to do. Well let's get some beach photos out there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Bermuda's too beautiful. Uh, okay, so uh wanna touch on Shriners of course, but before you got into Shriners, uh rumor was swirling around and Phil confirmed this for me. Uh you had a match against Taylor to see who was going to get the exemption. Correct. Okay. Well, talk me through that. What was that like? Cause I mean, when we heard it, cause somebody who told us that was this guy who was just annihilated out on at the 17th at Shriners. He, he was, he had been drinking all day <laughs> and, and he was telling us about it. So I didn't know how much truth there was to it. And before we wanted to talk about it, we wanted to confirm. So I reached out to, to Phil Reedy, who was caddying for you. And he he goes, yeah, yeah, it happened. I go, so, all right. So let's hear from you. It's, it's an amazing way to get into an event. I mean, right. You've got you and Taylor, two of the top guys, on the corn Ferry tour that are, you know, from UNLV, it's a home, home game for you guys. So what was that like? Well, first off, I heard a few people around town from, you know, the local businesses and the people I play golf with on a regular basis that, oh, hey, she's looking good. I think, you know, you're in the tournament. I'm like, great. And then Patrick Lindsay, the tournament director of the Shriners, says, Harry, I've got a question for you. Do you mind meeting me at TPC Sunwind tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, Patrick, I'll, I'll see you there. And I'm thinking, okay, he's just going to ask me if I want the exemption in the shrine. <laughs> yeah, well, he wouldn't invite me to the office to say, to say no, would he? So I thought, what other option is there? And then when I got there, I was, you know, obviously through the through the rumors, I, I knew I had a good chance. And uh, yeah, complete bombshell. He says, I've been thinking, and I can't decide. Do you want to play for it with Taylor Montgomery? I've got one spot left, and I want to give it to one of you, and I don't know who to choose. And um, obviously, I'm not going to say no, right, to play oh, play yeah. someone one-on-one. 
a spot in a tournament is way better odds than a Monday qualifier and I'm just very grateful for any opportunity I get and said that would be fantastic Patrick thank you very much for considering me and a week later teed it up against Taylor uh, we had a local rules official Tim Quinn from the SNGA and we went out there us two and it's pretty pretty comfortable off the first tee because we're, we're quite good friends actually and played a lot of golf with each other the last six years oh yeah he was a senior when I was a, a sophomore at, at college so um he was a junior when I was a freshman so I did two years with him on the team and we, we were good friends and hung out a lot and his games you know got fantastic over the last couple of years and I, I know that he's a tough competitor anyway I've I shot a 68, which wasn't my best score around TPC Sunwin, but he, he shot a 69. And he's pretty tense, actually. had a three-shot lead with five to go. I eagled 13 to go five under, and he bogeyed it to go two under. And um, I thought that was kind of that was kind of it, really. So I'm quite solid. I don't make any big numbers. And I bogeyed 15. A drive right and hit tree and went into the desert. Oh. I didn't get up and down. I bogeyed it and he parted. Then he burned 16 and I parted. So I'm only one one in front with 17 and 18 to play in that. They're good, solid holes at TPC oh. somewhere. Oh, the closing holes there are, I mean, arguably some of the best in town. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we both hit it on the green on 17 and 18 and to 25 feet and both missed. And yeah. Yeah, but got him by, oh, wow. got him by one. That's so cool. I mean, I, I, I'd never heard of that. I, I thought it was great that they did that, you know? One, Every, everyone thought it was pretty great, you know? They've never heard it either. A lot of the players, and, you know, I played a practice round with Camilo Vajegas and Scott Piercy and even a few other guys said, hey, mate, by the way, by the way did you have to play a playoff to get these? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, so question about Taylor. Um, he didn't go to a Corn Ferry event because he qualified for the U.S. Open. Makes the cut at the U.S. Open, but because you're, you're yeah, I, I got to know your opinion. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you know, you're somebody that's out there that's grinding. So Spring, Springfield two weeks prior. Well, so first of all. I don't know if Taylor had to go to local or not. He might have gone to local and qualified for sectionals, right? US Open has a, yeah. a local qualifier and then a sectional. I don't know what he did. He might have been exempt through world ranking top 500. If not, he did local. But I remember seeing him in Springfield, Illinois, where I came second in 2020. And uh, I go, you know, we're having a chat. We're on the driving range. Yeah, and he goes, hey, where are you playing the U.S. Open? And um, I go, T, I'm through the Walker Cup. I was exempt into sectional. So all I had to do is, you know, do do a qualifier on the Monday or Tuesday of sectionals and have a, have a great chance. If, you, if you're uh, eligible for sectional straight away, I'm probably the only one in the this year that didn't go. And I thought, you know what? I cannot miss a week on the Corn Ferry Tour. I'm sitting 
74th on the list and top 75 making the finals and every week so important I kind of had the confidence if I can if I can just be on the conference all this year and get my card I'll play in the US Open for the next 25 years yeah that, that was my mindset so anyway I see him on the range and he goes well you're not playing the US Open and you're exempt in the sexuals like he was almost like joking around as if to say well you know, what are you doing? But he's 19th on the list and he's not thinking anything of it. Anyway, <laughs> US Open comes around, he qualifies. And it's a Tory Pines. Well, I'm in Wichita. And check this out. He goes from 19th to 24th on the list. Or he might have gone from like 22 to 26. I think that week might have moved him out. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it did. I go from 74 to 36 because I won. I decided not to go to sectionals, even though I was exempt, thinking, you know, US Open, I, I could play in a major championship. And I decided not to do it because I, I valued being on the Cornfrey Tour so much and that I can't afford to miss a week. And I went and won in Wichita the same day that John Ram won on Father's Day at Torrey Pine. So I would say that that was a pretty smart decision on my behalf, or at least, or at least it played well in my court. But, oh yeah. You know, Taylor might. You never know; he might not have had a, a good yeah, you year. Know, yeah, you still got to play. You know, you still got to play the events. It's not no; it wasn't a gimme that he's I making the cut and getting a lot of confidence. And, um, that might have helped him gear up for the rest of the year, and you know, he came second at Salt Lake City at the end of the year and you know, he had a good few results after but every point is really important and unless you were solid in the top 10 and locked your card up already I uh, I would have played in Wichita yeah I think what did he miss out by two points for the final 25 Five points, and then the finals. All you had to do, I think, was make the cut in, in Indiana, and um, you know we didn't. And I don't know how you can finish twenty six, twenty six. I mean, I I felt terrible for that. You know, you, you never want to see that. No. no. So what? Uh, how often do you play out at Summerlin? So for having such a great tournament, you know, getting top 10 on the PGA Tour at Summerlin, how, how often are you, do you play there to where you know that course and it gave you a little, if it, any kind of advantage? I play there a lot because I don't live too far away. I live on the 215 and Russell. And it's only 10 minutes from TPC Summerlin. And when you're away for... 23 out of 25 weeks on the conference tour in a year. When, when you are home for a day or two, you're not going to, you're going to value your time. And I, I love to go to the Shadow Creek. I, I play there at Shadow Creek and TPC Summerlin and Spanish Trails I'm a member at. Uh, but TPC Summerlin I consider is, is the office. You know, they're so good. They have my like Callaway balls. It's close to home. You can play a lot of other golfers, you know, with a similar ability and 
have a nice little friendly competitive match on the golf course. So I, I probably played it 30 times prior to seeing it up this year at the tournament. Yeah, we played on Tuesday after the event. Uh, a, a friend of mine's a member out there, and so he invited us out to play. Jeremy and I played right. on a Tuesday, and it was... I've probably played it eight or nine times, and it was, I thought, in phenomenal shape. I mean, the greens were just really, really good. H- had you seen it? What do you think, how the course was set up? Had you heard about the course prior to the tournament? Uh, oh, yeah, with the nematodes infection, and they weren't even oh, sure. Mate, oh, unbelievable. I was away at the Corn Tour finals, but they shut the course down for the members for three or four weeks because the greens were destroyed. And I didn't see them, but oh, everyone was, was saying that. It was bad. Yeah, it was really bad. And they had to get a PJ Tour grominist in treat the greens and I was very impressed by the time the tournament came around that the course was fantastic I thought you know yeah I said whatever the, whatever they, they did just rinse and repeat because the greens were amazing they were they were fantastic they rolled true you know they weren't lightning fast but by the time Sunday hit they were really firm you know on Monday they were so soft so the ability they have, I think, with the weather and you know how they manipulate watering the course. They Vegas is probably a pretty cool climate to, to do whatever they want with the course, and they got it in a fantastic place, especially with everything that they had to deal with. So yeah, we yeah. were we were out there Friday, Saturday, and then played it on on Monday, and I was I was blown away. It, I I've been telling everybody it's probably one of the best Shriner events at that course in a, in a long time. Oh really? Well, yeah. I've, I've watched the Shriners a couple of times when I was at UNLV, and I just remember it being so firm and fast, and it and it was by Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, cool. it's a great course. It's it's underrated. I, I know it, it gets beat up a lot because people say that you know the scores are so high that it doesn't challenge the guys, but it's I mean it's not an easy course. I don't think there's there's some elements that can come into play. And, and like you said, if they can control the greens and get in firm, it can, it can play tough. Yeah. No, it's, it's demanding off the tee, some shots and, you know, around the greens, if you miss the greens, there's not many easy up and downs. Oh, you had a nice one on uh, what, Friday or was it Friday or Saturday where you uh, on 15, you, your bunker shot went long and you put it off the back right into the hole. That was nice. That was nice. Yeah, I gave that a nice little fish pump. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a crazy hole. And and uh, Joe and I played it. Joe played it for the first time uh, last year, and uh, he loves unique. He's really into architecture and and design. And one thing from the broadcast that you do not get about the fifteenth hole is the view from the tee box. They never show that. It's always you know from the little tower above the green. But that, that mm-hmm. tee shot is really unique, and, and I really would love to see them show that view because the the way that, um, I think it was a weed that designed that course, the way he designed that, it, it's such a different perspective standing there looking at it than, than the overhead. I think drivable path fours are fantastic. And it's so nice as well that, 
you hit a lot of drivers off that tee box and when they land on the green, normally they stay on the green. You know, it's pretty rare. Um, but, yeah, you just got to commit to hitting over the hazard on the left and hope it, well, I do anyway, hope it fades a little bit. And you're on the green 80% of the time. If you're not on the green, it's, it's a great up and down hole. Yeah, you, know, they, you, you get then, up and down around that green. Then you go from that one to the really scorable par five. That's pretty much a two-shot hole for most players. Uh, yeah. A very challenging par three, and then the 18th hole is a great closing hole. And when that when that pin on 18 is up front, there can be some scary shots into that green. <laughs> yeah, I I managed to hit it to six inches. When the pin was up front, that was nice. Um, but I think the key there is getting a getting a good drive away because a lot of people are scared and they leave it out to the right, and then you have you know 160 yards and not 130, and that's a lot tougher shot, especially when the you know three out of the four days the pins are tucked you know the front and then middle left and then back left and they're all along the water so. Um, I, I played the last few holes really well um, in the tournament. Yeah, you uh, is, 66, 65, 68, 68. That's four really good days. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little disappointed Sunday to, you know, in the heat of the moment, I, I felt like the weekend I had some better scores out there, I think. And, you know, I'm so used to playing DBC Summer and, and shooting six and seven under on a consistent basis. I, I knew it was out there on the weekend for me, but I made a couple of mistakes on Sunday. Um, I flew it into the hole on 11 on Sunday. Uh, Sam dunked it and it bounced out to 20 feet and I made par. Oh. And then I hit, I had the shot of my life on nine out of a bunker. You know the bunker on nine to the left? Uh-huh. Off the tee? Yeah, I hit it in there and I was I had the ball below my feet and I was hitting this five iron. I hit a five iron draw and the pin was front left and I hit it to twenty feet and it was one of the best shots I've ever hit. I hit it into the furthest bunker. Yeah, I hit it into the furthest bunker on thirteen, the par five, and thought I could do a very similar shot. Took it fifty yards and land it over that bunker short of the green and rolled it up onto the green. I left it in that bunker and that was you know, that's a shot and a half right there because then you're hitting a wedge out and ended up making bogey. And, you know, those those two things changed a little bit. And I might have walked away with a second. I'll probably still win the court song chair. He's pretty impressive, isn't he? Yeah, he was going nuts. Yeah. So are you an are you a, a, a analytical thinker like that to where you remember all the shots? I'm very statistical. Yeah. Always trying to figure out how I can improve by half a shot, you know? It's, I love, I love talking to golfers because, um, I, I, the guy that I went and caddied for out at the U.S. Mid-Am, he, he forgets the shot after he hits it. He, you know, we'll, we'll be talking, we've done a lot of traveling together and it's, it's funny. He'll hit a shot. And I'm like, Oh, that's just like that shot you hit when we were at Cabot. And he's like, what are you talking about? And, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember. Yeah. And so do I, I'm, I, and it's sometimes I, I've thought of it as a curse because 
I remember too much. <laughs> like I shouldn't be remembering all this, um, but I, I have a heart. It's just, it's just there. So that's, that's cool to hear that, uh, that you, your mind thinks that way. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm very uh, statistical and methodical and kind of always have been since I got the UNLB and then Phil Rowe in a very similar way, psychology grad and quite an intellectual. And we, uh, we nerded it out over four years and I'm, I'm still going. <laughs> what did you think about the, the Corn Fair event that was at Paiute? What's your thoughts on that? Should they come back? Wait, the, the schedule's come out and I haven't seen it yet. Uh, do you think that yeah. that needs to come back? Back by the looks of it. Yeah? Uh, they're, they're not. That's uh, uh, not on the schedule. Yeah, I, I saw that there's, there's a gap in April. And it's right around the Masters time, so I don't know if. I mean, there's. Oh, is it was that meant to be determined? Probably. I'm. I'm. Fingers crossed. I haven't heard anything. We have a buddy that worked with the the agency that put that event on, um, and it mm-hmm. was it was there because of COVID. They couldn't do the Bermuda event. Um, yeah. Or the Bahamas event. Bah- what Bahamas? I think it was. Um. So they. Well, did they're, it there. they're on. They're on now. The Bahamas are starting again in January that'll be my well hopefully if I can play well this week then I yeah, no, be let's, let's get you on the PGA Tour <laughs> that would be nice but at the moment I'm scheduled to go to the Bahamas for the first time you know Bermuda and Bahamas is not bad life is it no not at all not at all <laughs> I, th- I, I thought feel like I, I feel like I should go home you know I'm halfway home from Vegas to, <laughs> it's a short flight from England. compared very tempted. Well, hey, you get another top ten, you'll have a good reason to go home for a little bit. No, I know I wouldn't because I think I'd be in Monacoba. Oh yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good yeah, yeah. So um what is what are the, what is the plan? Or you know, do you have your schedule worked out for Corn Ferry yet, or is it are you just waiting to see what happens over these next couple of weeks? I'm you know, I booked I put my hotel in the Bahamas for the first one of the year. Um, so I'll be there as of, as of right now. You know, I'm, I'm not expecting too much out of this week. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to try my best and play well, but realistically, I'll, I'll be getting my tour card for the Corn Ferry Tour next September. Um, but it's, it's lovely to have a chance to do it sooner. Absolutely. I'll try my best to speak and see what happens. Did uh did Phil earn a permanent spot on the bag or uh he couldn't come this week because you have to be vaccinated to come to Bermuda and play in the event and he wasn't vaccinated and it would have been you know, the window of having that two weeks after your vaccination. Too close. With the he would have had to have the Johnson and Johnson too, and there was a lot of other factors to why he couldn't couldn't make it over. But I definitely would have had him if he could have come. He was he was fantastic in the week of the Shriners, and yeah, you guys were a great uh, team. Yeah, I, I think uh, we did really well. So we'll we'll see what happens with Phil. But he's a great player too, so it's going to be hard to convince him to to caddy when he he really just wants to play. 
Yeah, he's. I know he's searching for that 59 out at Las Vegas Golf Club. He keeps on posting <laughs> all these 60s. <laughs> yeah, that, that event at Paiute, I thought it was fantastic. And Paiute really shined as a golf course. It was a shame it was so windy the last day because obviously they made it so firm and fast that the course was almost too punishing. And you were chipping it and it was blowing 40 miles an hour and I would chip it 10 yards and it would move four, four yards in the air. And the greens were so quick that, you know, it kept going further away. So Yeah, that's the no, only protection that course has is the wind. Yeah, I thought Pai was really nice. Yeah, it's our favorite. It's Every year it's our uh, our... Uh, we do a course rankings every year for all the Vegas courses and it's, yeah, it's come out one, two and three, both years we've done it. Really? Well, yep. That, uh, that's a good segue. So what, what is your favorite course in town? Is it shadow? 100%. 100%. <laughs> okay. For those that don't know, what is it about shadow? Shadow Creek and Pebble beach are my favorite places that I've played so far. And they're very different, but Shadow, you know, was dead flat once, right? It was the desert. And now you go, and there are waterfalls, you know, 50 feet high. Every tree's, you know, it's like it's been there for 100 years. You, You feel like you're in the middle of a forest. You have no idea that you're in the desert. Where every other golf course in Vegas, you kind of know that you're in Vegas and that you're playing in the desert. But you could, it feels like you could be in Switzerland, man. No joke. And it's it's got a Augusta feel. I've never been to Augusta, but I've watched it on TV so many times with the yellow pins and the mm-hmm. undulating green. Shadow is... I'm going to be very surprised if I prefer Augusta over Shadow Creek. And I, I say that because it's... It's like fairyland for any golfer. It's so magical. And I go out there. I've been out there every day at UNLV and, you know, every other day for the last two years. And it still blows my mind every time I drive from, you know, the front gate to the clubhouse. It's just remarkable. Truly special, yeah. And the greens are always a 12 and a half. You can, every green you can, Put it the opposite way of the pin, it'll come back. You know, it's just absolutely crazy. So cool. The best hole is 17, it's 150 yard part three, and the green is like it's so narrow 35 yards wide and seven yards long. Yeah, it's, it's so, <laughs> it's, so it's just a little tiny piece of grass, it seems like, when you're there. It's like, you know, place 20. 15 yards downhill. So cool. Yeah. The, the, I've played it once. Uh, I've gone out there a lot for the events that they have out there, but I, I got to play it one time. And on 17, I, I hooked my tee shot into the, the, where the cart path is and it bounced off a tree and landed like 10 feet from the pin. <laughs> <laughs> Very unusual way to uh, hit that green, but I did. So, and then 18 is just magical. What a, what a view from that tee box, man. Oh, yeah, Shadow is a very close place to my heart, you know. And then Pebble, Pebble just for the the scenery and every shot, 
just I'm a, quite an artistic player and I shape the ball a lot and I create golf shots and that place is the pinnacle of being an artist. If, if you like shaping the ball and you know playing real golf, and pebble pebbles hard to beat. Have you been up to Bandon? Never been to Bandon. Oh, Got to put that on your list. That's my favorite place sure. on the planet. Yeah. By far. By far. I haven't played, a, but I haven't been to Pebble yet. So that, that may persuade me, but yeah, Bandon is pretty special. All right. So let's, cool. let's wrap this up with uh, what's in your bag. What's your plan? Well, I'm playing it. Well, I'm sponsored by Callaway. I've been since I turned pro and will be for a few more years and hopefully many more years to come. I love the brand and, uh, I just saw your new. Drivers. I just saw your new Toronto wedges. Yeah, got got my lines on the wedges. Won't have. There's a new full toe out, which toes go from all the way to the heel to the the end of the club. Normally, there's a little space there that hasn't got any grooves. Um, but these grooves go all the way from the heel to the end of the club. And I haven't got that in the bag this week, but I definitely will have. I just haven't had enough time to kind of put it in play and practice with it and my short game's done me well over the years anyway and I don't need to change it so so fast so I've still got a new just my my normal wedge in, in play but I use two drivers in the Shriners and I'm going to be using two drivers this week one one is 46 inches one's 45 and um, the 46 one I, I tee it up high and give it a rip and a slightly different tempo and carry that about 330 in Vegas and the short one carry about 300 so they are two Jeez. drivers but they're different they go different lengths so they're basically like different clubs and I'll do the same here depends how windy it is though I haven't I haven't played in the wind for you know a pretty long while and I, I mean wind I mean blowing like 40 mile an hour yeah know? real wind it can, it can do that here so it's going to be interesting. I have had a seven women in my bag, and that might not be very valuable when it's it's blown forty. <laughs> so then I've got I've got apex apex irons, order nine iron, and then a forty six, fifty one, fifty five, and a fifty nine. So what do you what do you not have in that would be there if you didn't play two drivers? Well, this year I played a driver, a three wood, and a seven wood. Now I've got two drivers, and I've got the option of either a five wood or a seven wood. So I haven't got the, you know, the seven wood carries. We're speaking Vegas numbers about two sixty, two five five. And you know, then I, go, then I go to 300. So if I had the five wood, it would make my gap in a little more. But you know, most of the time, when I've got that long driver now, I haven't got too many three woods coming into any greens. Yeah, you don't. Need and the short, short driver, it's pretty, pretty accurate, and I can grip down it a little bit and carry it to 75, 280 if I want to. So kind of replaces a three wood but it's a little bit more forgiving and I've got an extra twenty yards 
you know, most of the time. And you put a three wood out of drive is too much, but it's not the case when you've got a short drive. You can kind of hit it 20 yards by everybody's three wood, but you're still in a good spot. It's interesting. So are you... Are you a, a gearhead? Do you do you know all your specs, all your swing weights, all your shaft lengths, all your all that stuff? All my shaft frequencies and head weights and you know it what? all. Yeah, I know it all. Yeah, I've got my own off the line machine. Um, I'm, I've been learning a lot. There was a guy called John Oda on the team when I was at UNLV Golf, and he got me on the train. He used to go to a lower golf center and get all his clubs looked at and adjusted and I never thought about doing that at all. I came over when I was 18 and never been exposed to you know any golf facilities like I had at a UNLV golf and went to a golf center a couple of times and gone you know most months ever since just to check the clubs and learn more and more from Joey and he's been fantastic and Educating me, and yeah, and, and since uh, since about a couple of months ago, I've had my own off the line machine, so I don't have to bug them as much. But I just went in there uh, just before I left this week and got um, a couple of shafts knocked down from forty seven to forty six because there's going to be a new legal limit, isn't there, in January? Yeah. So I just sure that um, they were all okay and, and legal. <laughs> so do you, do you think there's something to the 48 inch drivers the only thing is as soon as you go above 45 you know normal head weight for a driver is like 195 grams and the longer the shaft you go you have to make the head lighter otherwise it's going to be too whippy you know you put the same 195 gram head on Wait, yeah, it's going to be like a noodle and it's yeah, it's going to be like a regular flex. So you have to you have to make the head lighter. So, for example, on the end of my forty-six inch uh, tensei shaft is a forty a one ninety gram head weight, which is five grams less basically for every inch, I guess. So, if you're going to go to forty-seven, you'd have to go one eighty-five ish, and then you start losing ball speed and smash factor, right? So your swing speed might go up, but the ball speed might stay the same because the head weight is not as much mass behind the behind the ball. Yeah, it's working harder to not get anything. Yeah, so you have to kind of see what's optimal. And it's been funny. I was actually listening to one of your podcasts just before we came on because it was the first one I thought I'd do a little bit of research and you were chatting about how everybody's been saying, you know. Either where's the price and the hat. Dude, that was gonna finish I was gonna finish with that. I, I wanted to know <laughs> how long have you been wearing the driving cap? And do we need to let start calling Bryson, hey, you look like Harry Hall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day. One day that would be Um I tell you what, it you know, the more I think about it, Bryson's obviously had a lot of you know, aggravation in the media probably since his start of his career. But in recent times, probably the last six months, he's probably become a bit of a, a hero for the average golfer. You know, the length that he's put on, he's making the game really entertaining. 
what he did at the Ryder Cup was awesome, and then what he did at the Long Drive was awesome. I think his his whole brand has got way better to the average golf fan, and I think the whole Brooksy thing. It was funny when I when I won in Wichita, everyone was shouting Brooksy at me. <laughs> Are you serious? So I'm serious. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, right? Um, when I, you know, on the corn tour, I'm, I'm, I haven't got an ego, and I make a putt on 17 in Wichita. There was a big grandstand around the, around the hole on the 17th of part three, and if you make a birdie, there's one dollar beers for like the next five minutes. So everyone was getting hammered that week, <laughs> and you know, I'm walking after everyone shouting Brooks, and just because I'm, I'm wearing this hat, and you know, it's funny. And I haven't got the, the ego to kind of get pissed off yet because I'm still young and up and coming. And you know, the more people talk about me, probably the better right now, whether it's good or bad, or whether it's look like I look like someone else. You know, um, but everyone was shouting Brooksy at me in Wichita, and I'd hold apart and shout Brooksy back at them at the stadium. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they'd, they'd all go crazy. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But I messaged Bryson the other day because I was wondering. I was kind of losing efficiency with the with the ball speed numbers, and I just wondered because he's been using a forty six inch drive when he played. How what headway he uses on the end of his shaft, and he goes one ninety, which was exactly what I was using. So that, that's good to know. He's obviously done a lot of testing with with his guys at Cobra and stuff, and at least. At least I know that 190 headweight is probably the most optimal you're going to get on a 46-inch driver, and that's going to be the, the legal limit. So anyone listening to this that wants to go to a longer shaft, it's definitely worth it, but you've got to make sure that the headweight is probably around about 190 to keep it stiff enough. Yes, good info, right? Good info. Well, by the way, I want to go back to this witch time moment because this was... Highlight of the year. If you can ask me what the highlight of the year was. What was the highlight of your year, Mr. Hall? The start of Wichita. They asked you, um, you know, what your theme song would be if you're walking up 17. So they're going to play a, mute, a, a song and what your favorite hobby is. Well, I put the hobby down as going to Chipotle because <laughs> I've been doing this challenge all year and I'm on like 75. So I, you know, I yeah, I'm going to ask you if how's the Chipotle sponsorship coming. Yeah, well, hopefully. Um, but then the theme song, I, I couldn't think of any. I'm like, what do I do? So I go back the next day and I put, um, there's a song from the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> with, the, with the red right hand. And no joke. They hadn't played it all week when I walked up 17. I'm thinking, why have they asked us all for, you know, a theme song? And Sunday they have this DJ. And I'm leading the tournament by one, walking up 17 in my hat. I've got my shades on. And as soon as I leave the tee box, they start playing this peaky blinders <laughs> theme tune. Oh. And I'm walking up. In the, you know, there's probably five to 10,000 people around this hole, and it's like the waste management Phoenix Open Corn Freight Tour version, right? Yeah. And this theme tune of the Peaky Blind is playing, I'm walking up, and it's like, with the red, right? And 
school and I felt on top of the world, mate. <laughs> you know? I felt oh. like Tommy was on, on set. Oh. Oh, it was nuts. And I was winning the tournament. I oh. thought, God, if I, if I could... If everyone thought I was a peaky binder in the next 10 years, that would be nice. Yeah. Not not Bryson. All right, I'll work on that. I love that show, man. That's why anytime I post it about you, I'm doing Harry fucking Hall because it's Thomas fucking Shelby. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was that was a highlight of the year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, have you seen Squid Game? That's probably the pressing question I'm going to get. Is have you no, watched? I haven't. You haven't watched Seen Squid like Game. The first yeah. Are you a big uh, TV guy? Uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Well, hey man, uh, thanks so much for hopping on. This is it's it's been a, a, a joy to have you on. I've been looking forward to this. I was thrilled to see you perform so well at Shriners. I want nothing but the best for you this season. Uh, tear it up at Bermuda, and uh, we're looking forward to to watching a very long, prosperous career out of you. That'd be very nice, Oliver. I'll try my best. To... Oh, hey, congratulations. Uh, also, you just recently got engaged. Yeah, as of two weeks ago, I am. Um, yeah, engaged. Officially off the market. Officially off the market. Sorry. Sorry, baby. So, yeah. congratulations on that. Um, you've had a great year. I, I man, I, I just think you're going to, you're going to be hit, making the headlines on the PGA Tour in no time. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'll, I'll try my best to represent the Vegas community as well as I can and hopefully add, add to the trophy cabinet with the Golden Knights and the Raiders over the next few years. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be fantastic. Need you up there uh, spinning the horn at the start of a game soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I haven't been to a Raiders game. I went to the Golden Knights game last night just before I flew here. Oh, um, that was so disappointing. Yeah, they're hurting so bad they, right now. They can come back. But... So many yeah, injuries. First Raiders game at the Allegiant Stadium. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, good have luck, been, man. Yeah. What's that? Have you been to a Raiders game yet? No, no. I I, I haven't gotten the jab. So uh, I I was I was gonna try and go to the UNLV game Thursday night, but had something come up, so we couldn't go. Um, but no, I had, I would love to go. I would love to go. I just haven't gotten the, the vaccination yet, or the vaccine yet. Okay. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me, mate. No problem, man. I'll again one day. Yeah, well, next time you're, next time after you're done, like when the season's over and everything, you'll have to come hang out, and then we'll go play some golf. Awesome. So All go, right. Go light it up. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Oh, cheers. Bye.